Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. During this episode, we'll hear the story of an indigenous food expert and the many layers of their most recent project, and spend time with NFL Kansas City Chief Center Creed Humphrey. The CPN Language Department also teaches everyone a classic Christmas carol in Borewabmi Mwen. Have you ever had a TikTok video unexpectedly go viral? For one CPN tribal member, Jody Matina, it helped her patch together several lifelong goals and gave her the ability to share her Nishnabe ways of life with others. Today we're joined by Hanukkah reporter Rachel Vishnoff to tell us some about this story connecting Michigan, the Kellogg's Corporation, and a tribal member who got to do some amazing work with them recently. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, for sure. I had the incredible opportunity to talk with Jody Matena. She was invited as part of Native American Heritage Month to do a culinary presentation at Kellogg's headquarters in Battle Creek, Michigan, and followed that up with a question and answer period with several of the employees. And Jody was invited because of her connection with the Natawasepi here on band Potawatomi. It is so great to be up in our homeland. And every time I drive up there, I just, I don't want to leave because it feels like home. You know, you go by all the waterways and you can, I can almost picture our relatives in birch bark canoes going through all the waterways. And it is just, it's, it, I am so grateful that the Nottawasepi and the Pokagon are still there. Kellogg's has a working relationship with that community. Jody has wanted to be a cook her entire life and um, wanted to be an educator her entire life too. And so has kind of like stumbled into this fantastic opportunity to do both of those things. It's almost like creator this like, oh, just wait, it'll come around and and you're going to find your purpose. And if I would have known, if that little eight or nine-year-old would have known what 48-year-old me was going to do, I would have not worried one bit. In 2020, Jody was speaking with her daughter who had, you know, gotten sick and Jody was like, well, make some fire cider, you know. And she never paid attention when she was younger. So she forgot how to do it. And I thought, well, let me try this new TikTok thing that you guys keep sending me. Um, I knew nothing. It is really good for your immune system. Uh, It's a purifier, so it'll clean your liver. It, It cleans out your digestive system. Um, we mainly use it because it is such a great thing during cold and flu season for your immune system. And this year it seems to be even more necessary because of COVID, as you all know. So, uh, so I made her a TikTok about how to make fire cider and sent it. She told me, you know, I didn't realize that this video was going to be posted publicly. I thought I was sending it directly to my daughter. Oh, uh, yeah. Her video explaining how to make fire cider ended up going unexpectedly viral on TikTok. And of course, with some prodding from my daughter, she was like, share your recipes. Like, nobody knows this. And and so many more people need to know what indigenous foods are. So at first, I thought it was just kind of like, it was just a fluke. 
for that one firesider video. And it just grew and grew and grew. And I thought maybe really people really do want to start decolonizing their food. And so she has a TikTok following now of, I believe, about 30,000, um, where she gets to share educational videos about food and food sovereignty. That's kind of become this unexpected unification of several of her dreams. You know, she wanted to be a cook her whole life. She grew up learning about hunting and about growing food and preserving food and preparing food from her grandfather and her mother. Um, she was a master chef and I've never been to culinary school. She went, never went to culinary school. This was, it just brings us joy to feed people and, and know that we're nourishing their bodies as well as the spirit and the heart. And so most of my recipes are based around what my mom taught me. It's hard for especially indigenous folks to write down a recipe because we don't really have one. We don't measure. It's just, and so I'll always say measure with your indigenous eyes or indigenous heart. Like that's just, you just measure that way. Part of her journey into all of this was with her family trying to remove wheat and dairy from their diets for different, you know, medical and dietary reasons. I did a lot of educating and talked to some traditional indigenous healers and they just confirmed that we really can't digest wheat. The majority of indigenous people are allergic to wheat as well as dairy. So, and then once I took that out of my diet, like my whole life changed. She works in the food sovereignty department at, with the Nottawasepi Huron Band Potawatomi and she, um, you know, helps educate there in terms of you know, what food sovereignty looks like, what decolonizing one's relationship with food looks like and sharing recipes. And so that's been a really great opportunity for her too. And that's kind of where the Kellogg's connection came in. Kellogg's started as Battle Creek Cornflake Company. William Keith Kellogg split off from his brother, John Harvey Kellogg, and the Battle Creek Sanitarium, which John Harvey was superintendent of, The sanitarium was established in 1866. It was under the Seventh-day Adventist church for quite a while. There was eventually a split between the Seventh-day Adventists and John Harvey over some ideas that he had, um, but he did remain superintendent, and he was a medical doctor. He was an entrepreneur. He was also a known eugenicist. Um, He was very clear in his writings and publications about his views on Black people and Native people, and he did found the same year as the Battle Creek Cornflake Company started the Race Betterment Foundation. Um, so he was very explicitly eugenicist, um, and that shows up in ways that he ran the sanitarium. Um, every patient that was brought into the sanitarium had extensive measurements of form and function um, performed on them as kind of like an intake thing. His method involved a wide variety of therapies to try and bring each patient into as close alignment as possible with the population standard for these measurements. And so with John Harvey Kellogg, patients stay for months at a time and they undergo lots of different therapies, hydrotherapy. um, There's the dietary regimens that he prescribes in order to execute this therapy effectively. He needed foods that were precise and consistent in their macronutritional and caloric values so that he could prescribe, you know, a cup of this every day. And so there was this whole food development wing of the sanitarium. You know, there was the sanitarium food company that was tasked with producing and inventing foods that were 
that predictable. Cereals are one of the main ways that he did that, and cornflakes came out of this. The cornflake was popular, and people wanted to have access to this food even after they left the sanitarium. William Keith Kellogg decided to split off and sell it to the general public. So you have this fascinating origin of the cornflake, but also of Kellogg's food company, which is now the global giant that we know that owns brands from cornflakes to Eggo to Morningstar Farms to, you know, Pringles. So I think in a way, Kellogg's is trying to make silent reparations. And they have been for a very long time. I think it was after World War II, they were really like, you know, this eugenics thing isn't a good thing. And so after World War II, Kellogg's really tried stepping away from that. Jody was telling me that Kellogg's has a long history of employing Potawatomi relatives in the area. And then they've also helped sponsor many of the schools around there. And it was very diverse and very, very good. Um, Unlike the residential school era that's... we're still dealing with today. So they've been they've been doing a lot for the indigenous community for a long time and in, you know, a respectful way. In early November, Jody got to travel um, from her home in Tennessee to Battle Creek, Michigan, um, and actually go to Kellogg's headquarters. And she cooked for the employees on site there that day. So I made for them a Buffalo Three Sisters stew, which is something my mom made quite often. And I just changed her recipe a little bit, not much. And then some pumpkin biscuits. So kind of basic stuff um, for us. But for them, I, I was I was kind of shocked they had never tasted anything like that before. And she picked these these dishes because they do tell, you know, a complete story with food. The buffalo, I like to cook with buffalo or venison the most. And, you know, that's kind of like our staple protein besides fish and duck. And then the three sisters, of course, that's all about our agriculture, our history. We have the lessons of the three sisters and how they work together. The pumpkin biscuits have been a replacement for fry bread in her own home, trying to get away from some of the wheat there and some of the dairy. The commodity food that makes us all sick, even though we love it. So I've started making pumpkin biscuits, which is just basically pumpkin and cornmeal. I wanted to emphasize that we're using this instead of wheat fry bread now. Food is a communal thing. You know, gatherings and meetings revolve around food. It's a community-based food economy versus the global grocery, you know, economy that we see and that Kellogg's is a part of. Some of us get discouraged because we think we have to do it all. We have to be hunter-gatherers, foragers, planters, do all of the food. And we forget that it's all about community. We were never people to live solitary lives so find people to trade with um it's also the you know practicing the honorable harvest as well as reciprocity um it so everything you don't just take you've got to give back um but don't think you have to do it all by yourself when you do center community it becomes this really great opportunity for connection and for sharing resources and sharing responsibilities it becomes a lot more feasible so you're you're working on your relationship, not only with food, but also with labor and with commerce and with community and all of those are intertwined. You know, how many cornflakes does Kellogg's make in a year? And like, it's massive being able to bring these conversations to the employees and to the people who are thinking about food on this, on this massive scale and who do end up shaping a lot of how we relate to food, I think is immensely significant 
it opened up the discussion, not just for feeding ourselves, but getting back to the basics rights of being able to have your own agriculture, um, foraging rights, keeping our waterways and um, our water relatives as well as our plant relatives clean and safe and secure. I think that they were all um, receptive to that and that was really, really great. During the question and answer period after Jody's presentation, a lot of the employees ended up getting curious about where do I come from in terms of location on the globe, but also in terms of who are my ancestors and what food traditions do we have that I can recover and incorporate into my life? Um, I mentioned that not just people are indigenous to Turtle Island, that everyone is indigenous to somewhere else on the planet prior to colonization and encourage them to do their own research find their family because their ancestors are waiting for them. And as Jody talked about, decolonizing one's food and one's relationship with food is something that anybody can do. It really comes down to acknowledging what you put in your body and where that comes from and paying attention to that. It was wonderful. And then just seeing everyone leave with full bellies and going, mm, this is great. They're coming back for seconds. I was like, goals. That was pure joy right there. Jody is always thinking about how do we move forward together and education is a really important part of that for her. And so she continues to do that and will continue to do that through her TikTok channel. And she's got a cookbook coming out in 2023. That'll be a great opportunity for people who, you know, want to connect with recipes or ingredients that their ancestors used or who just want to try new foods, who want to pay attention to food and how they relate to it in their own homes. You can follow Jody Matina on TikTok at BossLady underscore Anish. That's A-N-I-S-H. You can also find her blog at cpn.news backslash BossLadyBlog, where she puts updates about her upcoming projects, including a cookbook set to be released sometime in the first half of 2023. Creed Humphrey is a CPN tribal member and center for the NFL's Kansas City Chiefs. At only 23 years old, he is currently in his second season playing professional football after gaining notoriety at both Shawnee High School here near CPN headquarters and at the University of Oklahoma in Norman. Bonjour, Creed. Chimaguetch for your time today and being on the podcast. We're very excited to have you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So you are known as sort of one of the best centers in the league, really for your focus and obviously your pass protection. Uh, what really keeps you going during a game? And like, how do you get that focus that you're known for? Yeah, for me, it's just uh, taking everything play by play, uh, you know, making sure I'm executing my assignment and uh, really just uh, focusing on the details throughout everything. Uh, yeah, so really for me, it's just taking it play by play and uh, making sure I do my job every play. What's it like representing CPN as a professional athlete for you? Yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, there's not a not a ton of uh, representation with uh, Native Americans uh, throughout sports. So uh, being able to do that and uh, kind of just be a uh, person for uh, younger kids uh, to look up to is uh, it's really great to do. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy to be able to do that. Yeah, what's it like seeing kids either wear your jersey or um, the Creed is Good t-shirts, which are super <laughs> fun? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely awesome. Uh, just, you know, seeing kids, uh, being able to be someone that they can look up to, uh, you know, I really enjoy that. And I make sure uh make that a big part of my job as well, uh, making sure I'm representing myself well and uh, making sure I'm 
you know, just being a good person to look up to for the younger generation. Yeah. Who do you look up to in the NFL, you know, and is there anyone that you really watched and paid attention to as a kid? Yeah, for me, uh, just, you know, as soon as I started playing center, I started watching film on, uh, different people just to learn technique and everything like that. So, uh, for me, I really enjoyed watching uh, Nick Mangold uh, with New York Jets, uh, Travis Frederick uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, Marquise Bounty with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, those guys were, you know, at the top of their games during their time. So, uh, you know, it was really fun to watch them and just kind of see how they play the game. What do you enjoy most about game day? Man, uh, really the interaction, you know, with the fans, things like that, just the atmosphere that they bring, uh, you know, just uh, it's really it's really cool to see, uh, you know, that many people get behind the team and, you know, rooting for them, you know, whether we're doing good or whether we're doing bad, they're, they're always behind us. So I think that's really cool to see. You gained a lot of notoriety, you know, in high school and while you were at OU. So what's it been like adjusting to more of a national spotlight and adjusting to playing professional football. What what are some of the the differences there? Yeah, so you know, in professional football, uh, you know, really your whole focus is on football now. You know, now that I'm out of school and everything, graduated, uh, you know, I'm not worried about classes, studying things like that. You know, I can put all my focus on football. So uh, you know, I really enjoy being able to do that, and uh, you know, I feel like it's in a way less stressful because you can have all your focus on, you know, making sure you're playing the way you want to play. So I really enjoy that. And also, uh, just like you said, the national spotlight, uh, you know, being a professional athlete, uh, you know, there's a lot of people looking up to you and, you know, seeing what you're doing. So uh, just making sure I'm doing the right things uh, and representing myself in the way I should be, that's a big thing for me to do too. So I really enjoy doing that though. We have a lot of listeners right here from around Shawnee. Do you ever miss Shawnee? Yeah, I do. You know, all my family still lives in Shawnee. So, uh, you know, during the off season, it's really good to be able to go down and see them and catch up with everybody around there. Uh, still got a bunch of friends that live in Shawnee, things like that. So, I, you know, I definitely try to make time during the off season where I'm in Shawnee for a while. What was it like covering for Patrick Mahomes on your first game in the NFL? I have to ask that question. It must have been just like dream come true. It's definitely a uh, big responsibility, you know, protecting the you know best quarterback in the league. But uh, it's definitely – it's awesome. He makes our job so easy. And, uh, you know, just seeing him make the plays that he makes is really cool. And uh, it's, it's really a blessing to be able to see that happen in real life. What makes you proud to be Potawatomi? Yeah, what makes me proud is, uh, you know, just representing my family. Uh, you know, my family lives in Shawnee. They live in that area. Uh, you know, so I've been around, you know, them my whole life. And I've been representing, you know, the tribe my whole life. So uh, it's uh, definitely for me uh, representing my family well and things like that. And uh, like, again, just saying, you know, having this opportunity where there's not a ton of, you know, Native American athletes in professional sports being able to do that and, uh, you know, have different kids, you know, within, you know, CPN be able to look up to me, I think is a really cool thing. Tell me some about the game recently in November uh, where you and a team member were highlighted for Native American Heritage Month. What was that like? 
Yeah, it was a really cool opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, me and James Winchester, uh, he's uh, a member of the Choctaw tribe. So uh, just uh, us being able to, you know, shine a light on that. And uh, like I said, being able to just give kids, a, you know, a person to look up to and see that, you know, they can make it to the same spot uh, that we did. You know, we really enjoyed being able to do that. So uh, it was really cool. You have had an impressive career with, you know, just almost two seasons behind you so far. So what kind of goals do you have personally or as part of the team in the coming years? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, football is a team sport. So, those, you know, focusing on the team goals is always my first priority. And, uh, you know, we definitely want to win a Super Bowl around here. So, uh, you know, I'm doing everything I can to make sure, you know, I'm being a part of that and doing my doing my job for that. So, uh, you know, if you focus on the team goals, the personal goals will, you know, usually pan out. So uh, just for me, it's focusing on, you know, making sure we win, making sure we, you know, win the AFC West, we win the AFC, and we win the Super Bowl. That's the biggest thing for me. Big goals. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so do you like football because it's a team sport? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh Growing up in Oklahoma, I was a big, you know, OU fan. So, uh, you know, I've been around football my entire life. You know, I've always enjoyed watching football. And, you know, when I got the chance to start playing, you know, it was, it was, you know, kind of my first love. So being able to just do that my entire life has been really awesome. How long have you been playing football? What age were you when you started? Yeah, I think uh, I started playing flag football when I was, five maybe four I mean it's it's been most of my life <laughs> that's a long time yeah for sure is there anything that you would like listeners to know about being a team member on the Chiefs we have lots of fans you've obviously brought in a lot of fans from you know Potawatomi tribal members people are always talking about you around here everyone is big fans always rooting you on you know, tell everybody thank you for, uh, you know, being behind me. And, uh, you know, it's really awesome to be able to represent Shawnee, be able to represent CPN. Uh, you know, I'm very glad I get to do that. And, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been a dream come true so far. So I've just been enjoying the ride. Chimaguetch again, Creed, for your time on today's episode. It has been a total pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. You can keep up with Creed Humphrey on Twitter at Creed underscore Humphrey. Follow the Kansas City Chiefs at Chiefs. It's time for learning language when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. In this segment, Department Director Justin Neely teaches us the classic Christmas carol, Silver Bells, in Borewa Mimwen. Bojo Jayak, Justin Neelin Dejnakas, Bodewad Mimwen Kenomagwitendao. My name is Justin Neely. I'm the language director here at the tribe. And we're going to do a little bit of language with you today. Um, since it's uh, Christmas, we thought we would share uh, uh, a Christmas song with you, Silver Bells. Christmas. 
Shonyawabad Tetagasen We Christmas when she odonic Ringling Nodini Mommy here we Christmas world. Odan meyewen ni meyewe son is the the lyrics literally city sidewalks busy sidewalks but it's saying Odan is a town or a city the meyewen are are the sidewalks or the path if you will and then emmezach oyak shpemak dressed in holiday style that mezach oyak means everybody's kind of dressed up fancy. And then shpamak in the air, eja moshtok, there's a feeling that moshton means to feel something, a kwismas. And kwismas is just a, a potawatomized version of Christmas. We don't have the R. There's a couple other ways you can say Christmas. Uh, depends on kind of how you believe. You can say like, menogizgit o Jesus, the day that Jesus was born. Or you could say, menogizgit uh, Jash Mingoswin, the day of the good day of lots of gifts or whatever, depending on how you see it. Uh, but Christmas is just a uh, potawatomized form. Odan meyewen ni meyewesen emme emme zachoyak shpemak then it says Penoljayak Bobwek, so children laughing, Jayak Bumset, everyone uh, going along or passing, and Wabdan Shomigwewen, so and then you see uh, people smile smiles or smiling, Shomigwe is the verb to smile, Shomigwewen smiles. Then on every street corner you hear, so then etso means every, meowesuk, so every every street. And that, that S, that meow S, just means a smaller street. Uh, S-suk, you could hear. Gada, no don, you could hear. Peno jack, bobwek, jayak, bum, set, wop, don, show me, gwewen. Etso me, yewe, suck, no don. Silver bells. Instead of saying silver bells twice, what we actually do is we say silver the first time. Shonyawabuk and then Tetagasen, which are bells, the second time. The Tetagasen or the bells, Shonyawabuk means silver. What it really is talking about is that color of money. Because a long time ago, we didn't have paper bills, we had silver, silver coins and silver dollars, and that was, so it was silver that you paid with. So it's the color of silver, or the color of coin or money is what the word for silver means. Shonyawabuk. Shonyawabuk. Tetagasen. We Christmas when she odonic. It's Christmas time in the city, so we Christmas when. So it's Christmas, or it's going to be Christmas. She there odonic in the city. Odonis city odonic in the city. And then just ringling. Nodeni mami e we Christmas wook. So that uh, that mami means soon, and then noden you're saying, t- you're telling somebody to hear it or hear it. It's soon going to be Christmas time. Mommy, a wee Christmas work. Wee Christmas when she odonic ring-a-ling no-de-ni mommy, 
Christmas walk. Miigwech, and I hope you enjoy this song. Yo. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memrise. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Please click the subscribe button and leave us a rating. And share the show with your family and friends. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Miigwech nikanek, mamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.